0: somebody around you this morning. On that fourth verse, here in a second. When I when shall I reach that happy place? Y'all ready?
1: When shall? I
0: Get to hear those fellows. I only usually get to hear them at uh, funerals because we always schedule them when we're gone. So, anyway, thank you so much uh, for blessing us today. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you'll turn please to 1 Peter again, uh, 1 Peter, and uh, go ahead and find the second chapter, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. World War II had ended, peace had been declared. But there was a young lieutenant young lieutenant by the name of Hiro Onoda of the Japanese Imperial Army stationed on an, on an island in the Philippines who did not know that the war had ended. Attempts were made to track him down. Uh, leaflets were dropped over his location telling him that the war was over. But Onoda, uh, whose last order in 1945 was to stay and fight dismissed these communications and these leaflets and these attempts as trickery or propaganda from the enemy. And it was not until March 1974, nearly 30 years after the war ended, when his former commanding officer traveled from Japan to the Philippines to rescind his original order and officially... Relieve Onada of duty that he finally believed that the war was over. I read that story and I think how tragic. How tragic to live for 30 years and give 30 years of your life engaged in a battle that does not exist. But as I thought about it, how more tragic would it be that there are people who are living today in a war in a battle, and they don't even realize it. There's a war going on, it's not over, and they don't even realize they're involved in a war. You're thinking, a preacher, what do you mean? What in the world are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about Christians who forget that we're engaged, we're in the middle of a war zone. We forget that we're living in the midst of a spiritual battle. That's taking place every day, every hour of our lives. We forget there's a battle going on for our own souls. But don't take my word for it. I want you to see it in the Scripture. And hopefully by now you've found 1 Peter chapter 2. And, and I want you just to look with me at two verses this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12 as our text. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. And Peter, writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Beloved... Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation." Now, those two verses, beloved, they tell us how we're supposed to live in this world as believers. We could very easily sum it up by saying we're to avoid sin and we're to do good. We're to avoid sin and do good. In a real way, these two verses we just read and we're going to study today, they really just kind of introduce what's about to come in the book. They kind of lay uh, the pathway. It's kind of like a doorway. We're getting ready to walk through and we'll see how these things play themselves out in the different spheres of life as we continue studying. But right now, let's just deal with these two verses. And i summarize summarized it by saying, avoid sin and do good. That's easy to say, isn't it? Avoid sin and do good. It's easy to affirm that and say, Amen! Avoid sin and do good. We can even memorize that. Before you left today, you say, Lord, well, what did the preacher preach on? He said, we ought to avoid sin and do good. It's easy to say, it's easy to affirm, but how many would testify today, it's a whole lot easier to say it, and memorize it, and affirm it, than it is to do it. It's kind of like when they tell you, listen, all you need to do is eat right and exercise. (laughs) Amen. It's simple, just eat right and exercise. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're right, Doc. Eat right and exercise. Yeah, I'll take this list. I've got this list. I see what I'm supposed to eat. Here's your exercise. Eat right and exercise. Amen. But then you try to do it. And you find out it's a lot easier to say, yeah, than it is to do it. So I want to look at those two points today. Avoid sin and do good. So that's our outline. We're going to look at it together and we'll be done. Avoid sin. Verse 11. Beloved, I beg you, As sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Do you hear the tenderness in um, Peter's voice here as he calls them beloved? He really does care about them. He really does have a heart for them. He's concerned about these believers. He knows they're enduring struggles. He knows they're having problems. He knows they're having trials. He really loves them. And not only does Peter love them, God loves them. Verse 11 quite naturally falls after verses 9 and 10. You remember in verses 9 and 10 we studied last time we were together. He says about them, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. then the very next word he says is, beloved peter loved them but even greater god loved them and he calls them beloved their love and can i just remind you on this sunday morning that we are loved by god god loves us i love the picture says if god had a fridge your picture would be on the front of it god loves you god loves us And because He loves us, that's why He tells us what we're supposed to do in this verse. He says, I love you, therefore avoid sin. Avoid sin. Can I just remind you, He's not out to destroy your fun. God is not peering over the portals of heaven looking to see who's having a good time and then saying, I'll squash that. I'll put that out. No, He wants us to have true joy. He wants us to have real joy. Full, lasting joy. And the commands that God gives us is because He loves us. It's for our protection. It's the same way you tell your child, don't go play out in the street. Not because you don't want them to play, but because you don't want them to get hurt or killed. Because you love them. You put a command out there that they need to obey because you love them. He's saying to us, beloved, when He tells us not to do certain things, He's saying, listen, I want you to have true joy. I want you to avoid the hurt and the heartache and all those things that will come if you yield to these sinful things. I want what's really best for you. And so therefore, I want you to avoid sin, abstain from fleshly lust. God really does have our best in mind when He says, Thou shalt not. As I was studying for today, I ran across a story, I think, that illustrates it so well. It seems there was a Christian woman once and she had a fellow after her. This young man wanted to go out with her and and, uh, he wanted to go on a date. And he was not a member of a church. Therefore, I assume he was not a believer. And really, they had nothing in common. But he would not leave it alone. And she had already turned him down twice. And now she had to say no to him because he wanted her to attend a rock concert with him. And in a kind of a mop, uh, um, exasperation after she said no again, the young man asked her, he says, what do you do for fun? He says, you don't dance, you don't drink, you don't attend rock concerts. What in the world do you do for fun? The young lady looked at him and said, for fun, I get up in the morning without feeling embarrassed, ashamed, and guilty about what I did the night before. And guess what? That young man had nothing else to say. What could he say? She knew what was really valuable. She knew what was really important. She knew what was right. She knew what it was to get up and not feel guilty about all the things that she could have done and maybe would have done had she gone with this young man. But the story went on to make a very interesting observation. The author went on to say, come to think of it, there are many fun things in life. For example, that same Christian girl is now married to a fine Christian man. They have a little girl and they're building a wonderful Christian home together. It said she's having fun every day without living with the affliction of deep scars of sexual sin and drugs and alcohol and regrets from her past. It's fun getting ready each afternoon to receive a husband home from work knowing he won't be stopping off at a local bar for a few drinks with the boys. It's fun knowing that while he's away from her, his Christian conduct won't allow him to be unfaithful to her for, for flirtatious with others. It's fun watching him hold his little girl on his lap with loving, protecting arms. It's fun knowing that her little girl will never see her father in a drunken stupor or experimenting with drugs. It's fun living with the assurance that the home is led by a spiritual leader who will guide each family member to Jesus and to heaven. In fact, it says the list of fun things for Christians is endless. So what do you do for fun? And I thought, wow, you Christians don't have any fun. I have more fun than I could stand at times.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Getting, I were driving along one night and we were just cutting up, just laughing, having a good time. We were saying, you know, we don't need alcohol. we act crazy enough without alcohol or drugs. I don't know where this comes from that Christians don't have fun. I believe Christians are the only ones who can have fun. True fun. We've got a hope. We've got a joy that the world knows nothing about. We have a confidence in Christ. And it's fun. It's fun not living with guilt and regret day in and day out. It's fun not worrying about so many things. But then I know there might be some here today say, listen, preacher, I've already messed up. I already have guilt. And by the way, all of us have messed up. Don't misunderstand. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But maybe you say, I've really messed up. And I've got tons of regret. I've got tons of guilt. I've got tons of mistakes in my past. Can I just tell you that God loves you? Jesus died for you. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He'll give you new life. And the glorious thing is that God can even, as He chooses to, He can even restore the years that the locusts have eaten. So I invite you, no matter where you are, you say, Well, I, I, I'm broken. That's okay. We all are. To come to Jesus. Bring your sin, bring your baggage, bring your scars, bring your hurts. All of us have to come that way. And He'll receive you. And He'll forgive you. And He'll cleanse you and he'll give you a new life. And He'll give you joy, full joy. Trust Him as your Savior. And, Christian, by the way, we still mess up, don't we? All of us do. The Bible says if we say we don't sin, we lie and do not the truth. I sin, you sin, we all sin. But the Bible says He still loves us. And He's waiting for us to come confess it. Make it right with Him and He will. Avoid sin. Looking back at verse 11, He calls them to avoid sin. But notice what else He says. He calls them sojourners and pilgrims. He's reminding them that they are not truly at home in this world. You see, the believer's true home is heaven. So in a real sense, we're not home here. And because we're pilgrims and sojourners, that means we are different. And that's where the real struggle often comes in our lives, isn't it? We don't want to be different. We want to fit in. And can I just tell you, that's not just a problem for middle schoolers, And high schoolers, that's a problem for adults too. We want to fit in. We want to blend in. We don't want to make any waves, but the truth of the matter is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are different. You're a pilgrim, you're a sojourner. This world is not your home. This is not what you're living for. And the sooner you acknowledge that, and the sooner you accept that, the sooner you own that, the better. And so, what he does here is he calls them to holiness. He says, Avoid sin. He uses the word abstain. The word literally means to keep away from, to abstain, to keep away from sin, to keep away from fleshly lust. So, this is an internal battle he's talking about here. Now, as believers, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. We're no longer in bondage to sin, we don't have to sin. We still choose to sin. We don't have to. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. But we realize that we still battle temptation and sin every day of our life. The temptation's there. You won't make it home today. Before that slow driver gets in front of you. And there's a temptation to sin. Some of you won't make it down the driveway <laughs> before so and so gets in front of you. And there's that temptation to sin. We battle it every day of our lives, this battle. It says here to avoid fleshly lust. Now, when people think of fleshly lust, We often only think about sexual sin. And that is included. By the way, that's a problem in our society. It's a problem in the church. I read a thing this past week that said about two-thirds of Christian men watch pornography at least monthly the same rate as men who do not claim to be Christians. So there's really no difference. Two-thirds of them, same as those who don't know Christ. And it's not just them. This has become a huge problem. And it's not just out there, it's in here. Among men and women, boys and girls and teenagers. Why? Because fleshly lusts in our life, that inner desire, those evil desires, but furthermore, it's so easy to yield to those desires. All of us, I should say all of us, most of us carry around with us, almost at all times, access to anything you want to look at at any time of the day or night. In fact, they tell me that Americans spend over three hours... A day on their smartphones. Three hours on average. That means some are way up there beyond that and some are less. And so there was a day where if you wanted to fulfill a fleshly desire, you would look at pornography. You had to find it somehow. Now it comes looking for you and me. And so, yes, sexual sin is involved. By the way, this is going on in this church body. No doubt about it. And, beloved, if it's a problem, if we want to help you. Please let us help you with that. But it's not just sexual sin. He's talking about it when it says fleshly lust. That's included, but Galatians 5 gives us a fuller picture. Jot this reference down and listen to it. I'm going to read it to you at the NLT just because it's, it's really more modern sounding so you understand it. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Remember, he's talking about fleshly lust. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. impurity, lustful pleasures. You know, we see that in our society. We have people that don't get married. They live together. We have people that look at pornography, people that are engaged in casual sex, all those things. Yes. Verse 20 now, that listen, there's more to it. Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, now, wait a minute, this is in the same list as sexual immorality, idolatry, he put jealousy. Well, surely jealousy is not as sin as sin. Let's keep listening. Next one says outburst of anger. Here's a big one. Selfish ambition. Dissension. Division. Envy. Drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if that's the pattern of their life, they're never bothered by that. They, they just live in that sin and rejoice in that sin. It's an evidence they're not saved. And so Peter says, Listen, I beg you, I plead with you, don't yield to these things. But here's the question. How? Because he just says, listen, I beg you, avoid fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. But he doesn't tell us how. Well, he doesn't mention it here, but we have the rest of Scripture. So how do we avoid sin? Because with this type of sin, it's an internal sin. So you can say, listen, I'll just move to a cave somewhere. The problem, though, is you take your lust with you. You take your fleshly desires with you. So you can go to the cave, you can block off everything, everyone, everywhere, but there you are with yourself. And then you have even more time to think about these things. So how do I deal with them? Well, i got to tell you, first of all, we can't do it on our own. So we are blessed to be together here today. And the body of Christ is an important part of that. And we're to encourage one another to help each other in these battles. But we especially need the help of God, especially the help of God the Holy Spirit. Same passage, Galatians 5, this time verses 16 and 17. You can jot it down and listen. Here's what he says. Now remember we're talking about fleshly lust, which war against the soul? Now listen to Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians five seventeen. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So here's the key, beloved. If we're going to walk in victory over sin, we've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives. But let me just say this. The help of the Holy Spirit to exercise godly discipline. Because remember he said, walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means that we have a role to play in this. So we need the Holy Spirit who indwells us to empower us to make godly choices, to exercise spiritual discipline, to exercise wisdom. Uh, Let me give you two more verses. You can jot these down. 1 Corinthians 9, 27 and 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. And so there's some choices that have to be made in your life. And there might be some things you have to avoid. If someone is a recovering uh, alcoholic, they don't need to be going down and hang out at the bar. Wisdom says to stay away from that as much as possible and pray for God's help in those things. Uh, if it's pornography, you might have to, to destroy the computer. Go back to a dumb phone or whatever. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7, one. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so there's this idea where we need the Holy Spirit to empower us, but we have to make wise, godly decisions. And we need the Spirit's help to do that. And furthermore, sometimes we need other people to help us do that, to keep us accountable. And that's why we have the body of Christ. We've got to recognize, beloved, this is an ongoing battle. It's a war against our very own souls. I like how Edmund Hebert said it. He said those lusts, you know all these lusts we have, those lusts constitute an army of soldiers... Engaged in a constant warfare against the soul, aimed at capturing the believer and making him useless to God. You see, for the Christian, if you're truly a child of God, the enemy cannot take our soul. If we're a true child of God, we're saved forever, we have eternal life. But the enemy wants to ruin our lives, he wants to ruin our testimony. He wants to ruin our effectiveness in sharing the gospel. He wants to ruin our joy in the Lord. He wants to take those things from us. You wonder what it looks like. Go back and look at the life of David. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he gave into fleshly lust as he saw Bathsheba out there bathing, and then he took her and committed adultery and then murder, and tried to cover his steps, and he was miserable. And his life was miserable. And his family was in shambles. Now, David's in heaven right now. But in many ways, he lost the war on many fronts. You see, the war is not over. One day it will be, praise the Lord. There will be peace in the valley for me. But the battle's not over yet. Second thing, we've got to hurry. Avoid sin. Avoid sin. Now, do good. Look at verse 12. Having your conduct, your translation might say conversation, it's the idea of conduct, your lifestyle. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, I want to point out to you, don't be surprised when the Christian life gets hard. I don't know who told us the Christian life is easy because it's not. There are battles within fleshly lust. Now there's battles without. We don't have to deal with the inner battle, but now we have people on the outside slandering us as evildoers. That's what he says here. When they speak evil against you as evildoers. So what do we do? We've got battles on the inside, battles on the outside. What do we do? We avoid sin and do good. Gentiles here don't think necessarily of a nation. Think it's a it's picture of unbelievers, those who do not know Jesus Christ. Peter says, listen, I want you to live such a life of excellence and virtue and quality and honor to really live the Christian life because they're watching you. Did you know people are watching you? They're watching you. People are watching me. They know that you go to this church. They know you claim to be a Christian. They're watching you. The old Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren said it this way. They read us a great deal more than they read the Bible. They see us. They only hear about Jesus Christ. We're ambassadors of Christ. And so they know you say you're a Christian. What they really want to know is, do you live like a Christian? Notice it mentions that they're observing your good works. That's what it says. They're watching to see if your lips match your life. Your life and my life, it says something about Jesus Christ. And listen. The way we live is a great argument for Christ or against Christ in someone else's life. They're not reading the Bible. They're reading you. They're looking to see, is this real? Are you really a believer? Are you really a child of God? Do you really believe the Bible? Are you Are going to live that way? I mean, I know you say these things, but how do you act at the job? How do you act at school? What do you laugh at? What do you engage in? What do you do? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? How do you respond? They're watching you. I can't go anywhere in this county without somebody watching me. You say, "Well, you're the preacher." I know. That's why I can't go anywhere in this. Case. That's why I leave the county. No, I am.
2: <laughs>
0: and that doesn't even work half the time. I went home to my hometown. Took my wife on an anniversary day. And the Springer's were at the restaurant. (laughs) That's a true story. But they're watching you. And our life is a testimony for Jesus Christ. It's either a good testimony or a bad testimony. It mentions the day of visitation here. Depending on the occasion, the day of visitation in the Bible, it can be something of judgment. God is visiting in judgment. Or it can be a day of blessing. The context kind of decides that. And the context here seems to be a day of blessing. When it says in chapter 2, verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles and believers, when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify... They may glorify God in the day of visitation... What it's seeming to say here is this. When lost people watch you and you really live the Christian life, some of them are going to have a hunger to have what you have. And God can visit them in salvation. Does that happen? Well, you're in 1 Peter 2, right? Let me show you an example of it in 1 Peter 3. Look at verse 1 of 1 Peter 3. We see an example of it. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, that is, they don't obey Christ, they don't know Christ. If they don't obey the word, they, watch this, they without a word may be won how by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. In other words, there were some godly women, some Christian women who were married to un, uh, unbelieving men. And what had happened was they so lived the Christian life that without even not nagging, not anything, just living their life, they won their husbands to Christ by their conduct. And that's the picture here. The key, though, is God's glory. Did you notice it says there. That as we live for Jesus in the midst of these battles and warring the fleshly lust and trying to live for Christ, He gets the glory. The glory of God is the goal. It says that they may glorify God the day of visitation. We see it there in verse 12. They observe our good works and glorify God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew five sixteen. These are the words of Jesus in Matthew five sixteen. Let your light so shine before men. Do you remember what it says? Let your light so shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So, we live our lives, we we do good and good works, not to say, well, look at him or look at her. No, it's look at Jesus in their life. Because the only thing good in us is the Lord. He's the one that brings about the goodness in us. It's Him in us. And He brings about these good works. And so the message is clear this morning. It's pretty simple. It's avoid sin and do good. Now, what about it? Let's move away from them then and talk about us now. I've got to look at my life. I've got to look at your life. Let's ask ourselves some questions. Are there sins that have invaded our life? You say, well, preacher, they're just little things. Yeah, but those little things are gnawing away at your soul. It's those little indiscretions, those little compromises... Those little things where you don't really do what you ought to do that gnaws away at your soul and eats away at your soul. Can I just tell you, a a little cancer is still cancer. A little sin is still sin. And that sin is worrying at your soul. That sin is harming you. And and that little sin continues to pile up and it becomes bigger bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in your life. Just like a cancer in our body left untreated, begins to spread and spread and spread. And these sins in our life that we let go on, they gnaw away at our soul. I heard a song on the radio this past week from the Christian group Casting Crowns, and it's a, it's a remake of an old song we used to sing. Y'all, y'all, did y'all sing growing up, oh, be careful little eyes what you see, oh, be careful little hands what you do, careful little feet where you go. Y'all remember that one? It's a remake on that. The message is very powerful. Let me give you the words to it. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. When flattering leads to compromise, the end is always near. Be careful, little lips, what you say. For empty words and promises leave broken hearts astray. The journey from your mind to your hands is shorter than your thinking. Be careful if you think you stand. You just might be sinking. And then the chorus comes along and it says this, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray. Thoughts invade and choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. It's a slow fate. In other words, nobody wakes up one day and says, listen, I'm going to totally destroy my life and my family today. Here's how it happens. They wake up one day, they make one little compromise here. And a little compromise there, and the next day they make another compromise, and another compromise, and the next day another compromise, another compromise, and soon, day by day, and week by week by week by week by week, it's a slow fade, and before long they realize, that, how did I get here? One choice at a time. One sin. Wars against our soul. Because the enemy loves to defeat us, to take our family, our testimony, our church, and our life if we'll let him. And so Peter, you see why I beg some? Beloved, I beg you. Abstain. Keep away from fleshly lust. And really really live the Christian life. And so if there's sin in your life today, I beg you, bring it out before the Lord. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So drag it out before Him today. And get clean. And leave this place in victory. And do good for the glory of God. Father, help us to realize just how awful, horrendous, black and wicked sin really is. And how this sin wars against our souls and gnaws away at our soul. Lord, we cannot in our own strength be victorious. We must have the help of the Holy Spirit to empower us and to help us to make wise, godly choices and not to yield to temptation. Lord, you promised in your word there's always a way of escape. Sometimes we have to run, literally flee it. But no temptation has taken us but such as is common to man. But you are faithful, providing a way of escape. Lord, help us to hate sin. To hate it with a passion. To realize how wicked and evil it really is. How damning it is. How damaging it is. And Lord, protect us from it. Protect our lives. Protect our families. Protect our church. Lord, protect our souls. And help us, Lord, in your power to really live the Christian life, not in flamboyant fashion, not in tooting our own horn, but Lord, in honest humility, just laboring day by day, loving you and loving others, doing good works for your glory, pointing people to Jesus. Lord, speak to hearts right now. If anybody here does not know Jesus Christ, I pray your Holy Spirit to convict them and bring them to Satan's faith. And then, Lord, for my brothers and sisters and myself, search us, O God, and try our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us and cleanse us this day. May we leave here with clean hands and a pure heart, doing good for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 464 is our closing hymn. The altar is open. You may come and pray on your own. If we can help you pray, we'd love to do that as well. Whiter than snow, Lord, whiter than snow. I long to be whiter than snow. And you can be today. 464, we'll stand together. As we begin to sing, you come as God leads you. 464, let's stand and sing.